liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Today I had on the entire cast of Timeline Earth. These are some of my favorite guys. Don't let the shit posting and shit talking fool you. These guys are deep, deep thinkers. And that's what I appreciate about them most is that they they deliver it in a fun, hilarious way, but then they will pivot into areas of serious conversation that are revelatory to the audience, including myself sometimes. So I, I really think that you guys are going to enjoy this episode. It's a little bit more serious than they normally go, uh, but if you like the serious topics that they cover sometimes, I think you'll really enjoy this one. We go very, 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 very deep. And I think that I got a lot of clarity and I think you will as well. So make sure you subscribe to Timeline Earth. These guys are awesome. Aaron, Carr, and Bird. I will include their uh, Twitter handles in the description if you want to follow them on Twitter. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at earlyfruithempco.com. Every day, more and more people are looking to CBD as a means of relief. But with high demand came a flooded market. With CBD everywhere and marketed for everything, it may be hard to find a product that works for you or one that works at all. Look no further. Early Fruit Hemp CO is an online source of organic hemp and handcrafted CBD, grown and produced in small batches by American families and shipped right to your front door. You can find natural relief at earlyfruithempco.com. Their well-curated selection of craft CBD is sure to have what you're looking for. For two years now, they have sought and served their community the highest quality, cleanest hemp flower and craft CBD extracts available, and they are excited to bring that same experience to you. As a special offer, go to earlyfruithempco.com, and as one of my listeners, if you entered the code LIBERTY at checkout, you'll get 10% off your first order. Again, go to earlyfruithempco.com, enter the code LIBERTY for 10% off at checkout, I had jumper's knee, CBD saved me, I am back on the court, smashing fools. If you've had any lingering ailments, I would highly encourage you to check out CBD, and the place to get it is earlyfruithempco.com. Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I am blessed and honored today to have the entire cast of Timeline Earth, Mr. Aaron Carr Campit and Bird Arcist. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Hey, Thank thanks. you. Why, thanks. So... You guys have, uh, as I've, I've mentioned before, you guys have definitely opened my mind to some tactics that I would not have considered a year ago. Um, I think both because you make compelling arguments and also because the, the circumstances of our tyranny have increased dramatically. So uh, biggest question I have for you, and I'll, I'll start with Aaron just because he seems to be the biggest accelerationist out of the three. What are we accelerating towards? And if we are accelerating towards something that we can't be certain of, is that necessarily a good idea? I have no idea what we're accelerating towards. It's not really something I'm concerned about so long as we're getting there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a one size fits all solution to, you know, the, what, what the end point is. I think it'll depend heavily on geography. Um, local and state politics, uh, demographics, um, you know, where, where you're at, it might, you know, it, it, it might come faster. It might come slower than where I'm at. Um, you know, and let's in, in, in my, in my neck of the woods, we tend to have a, 
pretty monolithic culture, uh, you know, the urban area of Massachusetts on, on, on the water. I, I, I think it's going to take people literally starving for anything to happen. Um, in your neck of the woods, it might be something like uh, they actually go through with gun confiscation, which is something that they've been trying to do for a while because I lived over there. Um, yeah, so it, it depends. Um, as long as, as long as you are pushing people to get there, um, it, it doesn't fundamentally matter. Uh, we don't have the luxury of, of shooting for Ancapistan. We have the, we have the unfortunate task of just getting rid of the current order. Why, why is it inherently better to get rid of this order? Uh, I mean, obviously I agree with you that like our current system is, a disaster. So like, don't, don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. If, if we were to have say another decade of this tyranny that slowly creeps and it allows more and more people to wake up, does that not give us a potential opportunity to build back something better? Um, despite the world economic forum connotation there. Um, it would take a lot of coordination and effort amongst us dissidents, which as libertarians, we're basically a herd of cats. So, I mean, me and you could probably do something, me, you and Bird, but definitely not me, you and Carr. Um, <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw a car under the bus. What do you think about that car? All right. I'll tell hey. you what he thinks. No, he's no, gone. No, no, no. He's sorry, everybody. He had to go do his crack and he's in the closet. Yeah. Now he'll come back. <laughs> you... you... Lay it on me, Bird. What do you think about this? I, I always agree with Aaron, which is really weird, but I always agree with Aaron. Um, whether or not um, there's an option in uh, changing the current order or not in the first place, um, and I think the inevitability is that the order is changing, and there's several responses that you can have uh, to it, and one of them is to accelerate the process towards the change, which is already coming, always will. And um, I don't know what Aaron runs on but um like my motivation for attempting to accelerate uh the process towards the next epoch i guess of uh capitalism but i don't i'm not 100 percent sure would be purely running on the disdain that i have for the entrenched powers that are exist and are going to be completely upended by the next system um because that is the nature of the next system as it becomes deflationary and um starts to break uh, monopolies up and so uh the disdain that i have is precisely what pushes me towards uh wanting to accelerate it so that hopefully in the lifetime of my kids or their kids uh they can have a fairer shot in a world that isn't run i don't know as uh uh consistently as it is today by tyrants and very awful evil people well, as as you know, I do side with you guys on this. By, by the way, why do we have six cars in here? Oh my God, what's going you on? You never have enough. <laughs> I mean, I love the guy, but having three of them is a little much. Um, should we back out? What, what do you guys think we should do here? I think let's we should roll we, on. Let's see if I can text them. Okay, let me text them. So, uh, the reason I'm I'm so concerned about this is because it's. Well, I think the collapse is inevitable. I'm just not certain that accelerating it makes sense. And and I know, I know both of you have decided that that it makes sense. And I'm just trying to like wrap my head around the exact logic that you have there. And I I know you've you've attempted to explain it. I still I still lack 
some dot connection here because it's oh, go ahead it's it's not it's not that we want to accelerate the process towards <laughs> what our entrenched uh leadership our elites we don't want to accelerate their success we want to go at a pace that they are not ready to and that we the masses mm. aren't aren't ready to accelerate at either because as you saw during COVID 19 there was a lot of localities that overplayed their hand and they heard about it um you know there was you know violence in the streets there was uh you know people people acting in defiance and getting public support from it and um that came from this this over this overreach the, their tendency to overplay their hand um i think a lot of that stems from social media this whole uh manufactured consent this um idea that they that they have the the moral majority because of how much likes they get um so if we can accelerate at a speed to which they're not capable of managing then it doesn't guarantee a good outcome but it guarantees that they're not going to get what they want mm. so that gives us a chance at being the victor i guess because they're not competent they're competent when they when they're going at a pace that they dictate right. uh, when things, when things go a little bit faster than that, they, they, they overreact, they underreact. Um, they, they get, and, and more importantly, they get people like us to react on a, on a ma on a more mass scale. Yeah. Well, that, that is, I mean, that's basically an analysis of, of bureaucracies too. It's like, we are individual actors. So the, the faster things happen, the better off, the individual actors can perform against the bureaucratic actors because they can't move as quickly. Um, I think that my concern with it is, is that as they uh, realize that they are losing the race, how do they lash out, you know, and, and what, at what lengths will they go to, to maintain this power? And, and I think that we've seen with the anti, you know, Homeland terrorism bills and stuff that Biden's pushing the fact that they, essentially concocted what happened on, you know, early January at the Capitol. It seems as if they are, they are trying to get in front of this. Do you guys view it the same way? Go ahead, Bird. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I do. I think, um, uh, anytime there's an order that has to shift out of power or into power, the previous order in power is going to fight as hard as possible to keep their power. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. You'll see the most as uh, up to the point of an extreme break of power from the order, uh, wh however, that power that that order fuels itself with, whether it be money or media influence or anything like that, uh, they will utilize as much as they can, uh, to maintain their power up to the point where the competing force, uh, renders whatever power they have left completely powerless. So if we think about, I don't know, the modern financial system, um, it's not a slow uh, degradation out of the current financial, the world financial system that we're in. Um, it's going to be a quick uh, cascade yep. of people dropping out and people picking up new systems and um, that, for example, is something that I'd like to accelerate us towards as quickly as possible. Um, and in a way that, to incorporate what Aaron is saying, 
uh, is faster than the old order's ability to adapt to the changing conditions as they're happening day by day. So the quicker you can overtake their ability to adapt, the better, because you initiate a collapse of the old system quicker that way. I see it. I see it kind of a two-tiered because I think you're correct that the economic collapse will be rapid and that benefits us. I think that the the cultural collapse that that is paired with it is where I get concerned, um, because you're you've already seen the fissures. You know, you can already sense the discord amongst the people in this country, and lots of that is driven by the the power structures as it exists today, because it behooves them to have us divided in each other's throats, because then we don't focus on them. Um, right. But what do you what do you think, Aaron, as to how? How the culture, how the cultural divide plays out, as opposed to the economic collapse that kind of coincides with it. I think uh, your right, right to be concerned about that where you currently live right now. I'm concerned about that where I currently live right now. If uh, if I wasn't so sociopathic and able to just talk to anybody <laughs> and, and assume their ideological identity to, as my own, I'd, I'd I'd probably would be more concerned about that. Right, but um. You know, it as far as cultural collapse goes, that that goes hand in hand with economic collapse. Um, yep. You know, it it's going to depend on your locality. Uh, just and the, luckily, there's a lot of things you can do to head head that off to mitigate your risk. Know your neighbors. Get involved in, you know, as as gay as it sounds, because because we're libertarians. Get involved in your local politics. Um, go to fucking you know, if you have kids, go to PTA meetings. Shake hands with people that you have nothing in common with and that you would probably hate, but know your neighbors. Get them addicted to crack. Maybe Get something like that. To crack, you know, make yourself useful. <laughs> you guys, you guys have done a ter- tremendous job at getting as many people I know as possible addicted to crack. So I think you'll be safe during the, uh, the co- coming collapse. Yeah, we'll be fine. That's true. Well, we're big, we're big Reagan fans. So that's, uh, you know, <laughs> that's right. I'm a huge fan of Ronald Reagan. We're bringing no, back the right. raging eighties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And they were raging. Crack. Right. <laughs> Hand well, in hand, like economic and c- cultural collapse. Well, welcome back, Car. We, we missed you. Thanks. Uh, so yeah. I, I don't know what of that you, you've heard, but we're talking about, you know, accelerationism, the collapse, the cultural collapse versus the economic collapse. Uh, any, any input you can add there? Just I know you missed what we had to say. Yeah, but... <clears throat> yeah no, no, no. I, I, I got a lot of it. Um, I think that there's... Um, I think that there that one way to look at this, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not hundred percent sure that this is going to be the case, but you know, I think that you're seeing a, basically a parallel world emerging um, that is uh, starting to break away from some of the old legacy systems. And I think that this time, and I know it sounds stupid, but in some sense, I think this time is going to be different in that um, a collapse there will be a collapse, a collapse of the old ways, but we're going to have something to supplant those old ways this time. And so you're just going to see a mass migration, which may be very chaotic from old system to new system. And I think that's what's going to, I don't think it's going to be like, okay, uh, February, 2023, we've collapsed and all right, now let's rebuild. We're building now. And so um, I think that you'll just see a a massive shift. um, And I think it'll be a great thing. So is that, that's kind of the agorist stance is that, you create the systems outside of the existing systems. Um, and then when the system collapses, I, I don't even know if agorists go that far. Do they, do they actually extrapolate from working outside of the system than to becoming the new system? 
Uh, not, that's not, that's certainly not something that you're going to commonly hear in agorist circles. Uh, it's, it's a lot more centric around just dodging the, the existing system. Um, right. I don't that, think that they, that's ever, all I've ever heard I, I don't think, too. yeah, yeah. And I don't think that in, you know, 1985, um, you know, or whenever Konkin was writing that, um, it was really, it, you know, to, to have the capabilities that we have now would have been a pipe dream, I think to even to him now, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was envisioning, uh, you know, the, the lengths to which, um, cryptography sure. and like three yeah. printing not, and, and stuff I'm not like sure that. I'm anyone could, could have, have envisioned us. all, all no, of this I think progress was, we've made. Yeah, right. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think that it was, it was more of a, this is going to be a, there's going to be tyranny and we just have to do our best to dodge it. Um, and, and now, I mean, it's, I, I think we really have a shot at building, you know, building a new, a new uh, system for lack of a better word. No, I think that's the biggest white pill I have is that technologically we actually have a, a potential way to win this thing. And that's mm -hmm. astonishing because it, it basically happened over the past decade, more or less. Um, but I, I'm, I, I pair that optimism with, deep deep pessimism just because the people are not ready for it and i i guess the uh -huh. the truth of the matter is is that people are never ready for revolution whether it be peaceful or otherwise it's like it kind of it kind of pops off the same way an economic collapse pops off it's like you're only going to be led by <clears throat> five to ten percent of the population that are are radical built type people mm -hmm. and i'm just concerned that that at this juncture we have far more radicals that are pushing towards a Marxist revolution than we do a liberty-oriented one. Um, Aaron, I know, I know you've studied, I know all three of you guys have been studying Marx, Lenin, Stalin. Um, what have you guys learned from those tactics? And what do you, what do you see over the next, say, five, five to 10 years, uh, if we're lucky, five to 10 years, as far as I'm concerned, um, in terms of like the factions as they, they branch off and, and what, what can we actually use from those uh, otherwise ideological opponents to try and game plan this shit. Aaron? I don't, um, I, I know probably your listeners aren't going to like hearing this, but I don't see a huge role for the libertarian party to play. Uh, I see a role for them uh, long-term. I see a role for them in the midterm and the short term, sure. as far as uh, evangelizing radicalization and, um, you know, what, what you're basically asking is what is the final solution to the normie question? Uh, because it'll be the normies. I, I don't think I would that... frame it that way, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I heard you say that exact phrase. I'm pretty sure. I did too. <laughs> I yeah, did I know. Too. I, I could have We all it. heard it. We all... <laughs> mm -hmm. But it, it will be the normies that, that drive, that drive in whatever direction we're going to go. Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is also brought to you by our friends over at the Daily Job Hunt. I've been telling you about them for a few months, and I know many of you have already signed up to go get that job of your dreams. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up for the Daily Job Hunt. It is a free daily newsletter that hits your inbox every morning, gives you some information, some inspiration on how to become that better applicant, on how to find that job of your dreams, or to start that business of your dreams. If you see the economic turmoil that's coming, now's the time. Do not wait. Employers are starving for high quality applicants. If you are struggling right now to find that job, this is your starting place. Go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. And once you get that job of your dreams, I want you to DM me and tell me all about it. I cannot wait to hear from you. Again, go to crash.co backslash daily to sign up. 
And um, the best the Libertarian Party can do is to agitate, to agitate and agitate, mm-hmm. um, get them to develop a distrust for institutions that they normally wouldn't. However way possible, if you have to push them to the left, push them to the right, uh, they they have the potential to be pushed so far. And uh, I think that's our task to do that. Well, why, do you, um, so why, when, do you take, why do you take comfort in pushing them to the left? And I, I mean, I, it seems like a fairly obvious question, but... You guys talk about this very openly, and and I'm just curious as to why pushing them to the left and having I mean, yes, I understand they they serve like your diagonal unity concept where you have you have a better ally and someone who opposes this system regardless of what they want to see post collapse. I, I understand that logic, but if we are severely outnumbered, you know, if you push because you have all of the college kids basically lean left already and even though they they may be red pilled lefties, they still are are going to want to supplant this system with a totalitarian socialist type model. In in my view, do you think that there's that I'm overstating that, or what do you think? I think, I mean, I I think at the end of the day, it comes down to subjective preference and where you live. Uh, again, it goes back to locality. Where me and you live, there's not going to be a whole lot of right wing populists to stall them in their quest for you know, a Marxist Leninist takeover. Um, So, but it, again, subjective preference. I would rather live in a Marxist Leninist hellhole than a woke neoliberal hellhole. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. That's just me. Cause I, I I know I can survive and, you know, I, to me, it comes down to, do I prefer that do I, do I prefer to live in an environment that I have absolutely no control over or an environment where I have nominal control over? Okay. Um, you know. So might might makes right in the uh, the Marxist-Leninist world, so you feel like you can, you and, can manage. Yeah, and that's what I've been trying to tell libertarians, that there is no law except for power. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're seeing it playing it out, pl- playing out right now. And I hope that as more and more libertarians wake up to that fact and sorry, start applying it. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a battle with yourself that about your principles and application of your principles to this, this whole, this whole world of politics. And, um, you just have to, just have to fucking do it right. (laughs) What do you (laughs) think? Make sure it plays out right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the hard part. Um, uh, you guys have really, opened my eyes as well as some additional reading I've been doing about power dynamics uh, that uh, that King Red Pilled guy on on Freeman Beyond the Wall with Pekin also enlightened me to this a little bit. Um, I'm curious, does this disprove anarchy? What do you think, Bird? I mean, because it's essentially it's 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 essentially uh, an ass, an assertion that that power dynamics are inevitable and that if you are not seeking power, you are essentially going to be victim to it uh does that to me that seems like a pretty compelling argument that anarchism is impossible so um i i think that maybe it's a definitional difference in power but i think you'll probably agree with me if i give you mine um power is uh in in any empirical sense you know what matters what happens on the ground is um uh, one's ability to access or not access something 
Uh, ultimately, I can't think of uh, a better definition of power than to say that one person with more power than another can prevent the person with less power's access to arbitrary thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I take power, and that is why if the game is power or no power, then you're either fighting to instantiate your own power or you're fighting to create markets. Mm. And if you're fighting to create markets, which I think Hayek is the one who says they're self-organizing and self-generating. And if you're fighting to create or maintain a self-generating, self-organizing organism, then I think you are fighting ultimately for the anarchic fight, or at least whatever a useful definition of anarchy could be if it's contrasted with authority, which would be the other end, where you're fighting for organization, not by the entire system that takes play in the market, but by certain individual actors within a space, which would be authority. Um, and I think if you're either fighting to centralize, ultimately, or to decentralize, and the game of power is either to give power to some central thing, or to distribute power throughout an entire domain of things. Well, I think this is the always the balance to be found is can you can you actually get power to be decentralized without taking power to make it so and and that's that's what i struggle with what do you think car uh i, th I think that uh so i think bird uh I, I i like that uh definition i think that we should think of power more as more broadly um and maybe defining it more as in um the ability to exert influence uh, <clears throat> over your surroundings and that can be other, you know, people in your community or people, you know, and that influence can be good and bad. And, uh, and the one thing that, that libertarians, or at least that I would, you know, have a moral disagreement with would be the, um, use of force to exhibit influence. You can exhibit influence in any other way. Um, and just, you know, you cannot coerce, uh, your way, your way there. And that's where I think that, we seek to adopt technologies that can a first limit others abilities to influence us coercively uh but b hopefully broadly speaking um get those technologies to be adopted like incentivize those technologies technologies to be adopted mm -hmm. well no i think that's that's obviously a, a tremendously important step in all this is just getting people to start to use these decentralized technologies so that there is there is a market demand for them and then they kind of self-propagate at that point um, mm -hmm. obviously the power structures that exist today don't want that to occur and they are going to throw up as many hurdles as possible aaron you're the the radical uh, amongst us here for sure well do you think that we can prevail without taking some sort of coercive power to get us there and and would you do that out of principle or have you abandoned all principle for outcome um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say I've abandoned all principle for outcome. I've said, I've, I'd say that I've adjusted my principles based on what works. Sure. And, um, <clears throat> what seems to work is looking at it in terms of, uh, order, freedom, and equality always being in, in, in conflict with each other mm. and us being on the side of freedom. Our job is to take power and to subvert or undermine know anything that goes towards order and equality which is uh which requires um disruption to, uh 
techno uh, in the form of technology and also uh disruption uh, alongside that disruption in the current political system gotcha bird any any uh add-on to this topic no that was good i like that <laughs> yeah I, I do i i think that this is a a really important topic that it's it's probably deeper than most people go with this stuff and that's why i was thrilled to have you guys on to to hammer it out because i i really struggle with it you know it's like it's like my end goal is to have obviously anarcho-capitalist type society. Like that's what, I, that's what I would prefer to live in. But when I look historically on how you get there and I'm thinking to myself, like there is usually a necessity for violence to get to, to get the power structure to leave us the fuck alone. And, and I'm, I'm curious, do you think that, that this is, that we are on a track that can avoid that necessity for violence? What do you think, Gar? Um, I, ho I certainly hope so, uh, you know, but uh, I think pr be prepared if not. Uh, I, I think largely, and I've said this before, but I, I think largely, um, if you're speaking mostly about the United, the, the American experience, um, I, I think that we are on a track to do so largely peacefully. Um, probably a lot of people disagree with me on that, but, um, and I, and I don't know if I necessarily have a whole, well, nobody has any real data. Like you can just kind of war game it out and game theory it out and, and say, what, what is this likely to look like? But, uh, I think that you're going to see much more of a, um, secession oriented, uh, breakup. And once that large power source starts to break up, I think then you're going to see a renegotiation of, uh, uh, of kind of like uh, rights of the individual and rights of at least localities and things like that uh, within that new sub power structure, like the, uh, mm -hmm. any, any region that has seceded. Um, I, and, and, you know, we, we've mentioned this on our show. I think it's highly possible that the United States of America nominally exists for a long time into the future. But I, I think that at, at some point it will be in name only. Um, and I think that that may be sooner than a lot of people think. Uh, where where you just have regions of the United States that are more or less autonomous, and maybe they still you know salute the flag with a smirk on their face every now and then, but but there's no real real power there. See, to me, it wouldn't be a victory if we don't have formal secession. And I talked about this yesterday with some people, um, simply because if we're if we're still pay paying tribute to this federal overlord, right. it's not a win. You know, like you. No, no. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, and in terms of things like uh, income tax and, and and following, let's just say like federal gun laws or things like that. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly even, think even just the, having the income tax would be enough for me to be like, well, this is not what I was hoping for, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. And I think that that is, the, the, you know, the money is going to be the, 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 the last uh bastion of this because it, when people, when anyone tries to secede, there, you know, there's going to be, well, it's, you know, it's going to be like who owes what, you know, because there's a whole lot of debt that that they're, that people are going to be theoretically walking away from. And I'm not exactly sure how that would play out. I would need to think about that a lot more. But uh, I, I think that you're going to see regions come to the conclusion that even risk adjusted, it's more uh, it behooves them to not, no longer be associated with the United States federal government. Um, and whether that happens next year or in 10 years, I just think that that we're on that trend, right? Like, I mean, there's no, 
I think we could probably all agree on that. That trend is there and it's not reversing. I mean, we, we like you, you cannot just uh, continue to do this for it, you know, for, for forever. So what does it look like when it ends? And I think that's what it's going to look like. I think you're going to see people walking away and saying, yeah, I mean, or it could be a, as simple as, all right, here's our debt money denominated in worthless, you know, United States dollars. Here you go and shove off, you know, I, and who knows, man. Yeah, well, I, I definitely like the trend of, you know, XYZ state telling the feds to fuck off when it comes to new gun laws and um, mass mandates, vaccine passports. I mean, these these are all positive trends, in my opinion, even though many libertarians mm-hmm. hate DeSantis for doing it, which I find fucking perplexing because I'm like, yeah. you obviously didn't live in California over the past year. I know that for a fact. If you if you hate yeah. DeSantis, you are you did not live in a hard blue state that right. fucking ruined your life for a year. You piece of shit. Shut the fuck up. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Libertarians right. need to need to own up to the fact that when, if and when a collapse does happen or if and when a takeover happens, it's either going to be woke neoliberalism or right wing populism. It's not going to be libertarianism. You know, you're go- you might have pockets, but. By and large, you're going to have a choice between right-wing populism and neoliberalism, the the neoliberal establishment that we've That's not, had. Not a hard choice for me. Uh, yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, well, what I think is interesting is that, you know, I over the past year, I expected there to be, if if you had told me 18 months ago that we were going to be locked in our houses for a year and you weren't going to see just unbelievable violence, I would have said. Yeah. No, no way. So what right. I think what I think is interesting about this trend is that while people were very discontented, there is not there is not much um, willingness for violence in this country. And I as someone who's peaceful, you know, I I almost you know, I, I'm on the fence. I can look at it both positively and negatively. Like I kind of wish I existed in a country where people were like, oh, you locked me in my house. I'm at the governor's house. You know, I'm at the governor's mansion tonight. Like it's this is not people didn't starve. That's yeah, all it is. It, that's exactly the point I'm getting at. Is like, but but what I think is interesting though is that there was no will for violence, and and moreover, I don't think there's a lot of will for violence from the people that are in our military either. You know, there there is there is this uh, kind of apathy or yeah or mm-hmm. demoralize demoralization that's occurred over the past. I don't know, 20 years, probably the Afghanistan and Iraq war have added to this. Um, But, but it gives me hope that this may not devolve into a hot civil war where the feds are actually moving in on the great army of Florida and shit like that. What do you think, bird? Um, So going back, if you take the, you know, polls from before, whether they be authority or anarchy, and we have situated ourselves on one side of that. Um, there's, of course, there's going to be violence, depending on how you want to define that term. Um, I, I think, not that it's a necessary inversion. First of all, I think we have to understand that the goal uh, of any anything, if we're considering ourselves part of that dialogue between authority and anarchy, which we all do, then it has to be understood that the market is the thing that we have to be if violence is ever being used used for Mm. 
And so when I think of violence in, in a sense of a market, people would need to be willing to defend any aspect of that system that keeps that system going. And that could be miners or, you know, your own node or things that keep the system operating at an acceleratory rate going forward. We don't want it to go backwards. We don't even want it to slow down. And so if, if violence is just the use of, you know, if your violence ultimately means somebody has to die at the end of it, if that's the definition, then yeah, you're going to have to, that's going to have to be a part of any plan where the other side is trying to dismantle the system that you're trying to defend. Mm. Now, I don't think that that means anybody has to go out and, because we like to talk about coercion or aggression. Um, I don't think that that entails that at all. I, I actually think that because we have separate autonomous systems versus one centralized system, it's the centralized system that has to swallow up the systems we're trying to build. So by nature, we would be in a defensive posture. On, on the defensive yeah. posture. And, and it would be, if, if somebody wanted to, to go, oh, this sounds very violent, it would be in very specific circumstances, like the defense of anything that holds up the system. That doesn't mean you're walking down the street and you see a police officer, you cap him because you go, he's in this area, he could hurt somebody. No, it means if somebody's breaking into your house, you need to be willing to defend your house, not just because it's your property, but because within your house, you are a part of a larger system that you also are obligated to defend if you want to say you're on the side of anarchy. If you want to step out of it, you don't have to do anything. But if you wanted to be an active part of the um, security system of that system to any usurpation, then you have to be willing to defend the system itself. So this is double property rights. Everybody already wants to defend property rights because they believe in individual rights or they believe in some, maybe don't call it a right, but they believe in some entitlement to that property for whatever reason or another. Um, people are willing to defend their property because they've bought into that. Well, if you buy into that, also buy into how about defending a larger system that ultimately is the preservation of a market which increases your access to any kind of exchange that you want, which mm -hmm. is ultimately what we're fighting for on the large scale. So I, I think the answer is yes, it would, it would be um, not just optimistic, a little bit infantile to think violence wouldn't occur. Um, it would simply be a question of, well, in what use cases is that violence appropriate? Sure. And I think even in the system we're in today, morally, by the norm people would agree that we're on the defense if we're erecting systems like that. And so I feel perfectly comfortable with it in any sort of moral or ethical judgment as well yep. to say that. Well, I think that's, that's why I've been so averse to the people that have been discarding the non-aggression principle as like, oh, this, this is no longer applicable. I'm like, no, this is when it's applicable. We are being aggressed yeah, right. upon. So like, I don't even understand. I don't even understand why people are like, I, I think, I think the reason people don't like it anymore is because so many people use it as this shield to not defend themselves, you know? And, yeah. and I think the problem is that, is that people are not willing to have unanimity when it comes to analysis of the aggression that we, we are, you know, receiving. And violent, violence being um, a word that always does a lot of work uh, and always means several different things to several different people. Um, sure. Well, so yeah. Go, people, well, you have violence. a right to self. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. You have a right to self-defense. People go, well, what about my mental health? It's like, and then we keep going, keep going, keep going. So ultimately, I think it's better to place any concept of, of violence. If we're talking about anarchy, 
when is it appropriate for the purposes of anarchy than it is appropriate for maintaining any system that maintains anarchy. Well, I think I think what's interesting though is that if you if you have a truly decentralized system, you can I mean other than your property like your house, that's a, that's not decentralized obviously. But if you have if you have a network of nodes that are running this stuff, it's almost not necessary to defend practically practically it would not even be necessary is the point. And you see this with Whenever they take a, a, a torrent website down, Pirate Bay is the greatest example of this ever. The first right. time it went down, 10 of them blew up. Second time it went down, and they took like four of them down, 12 of those grew out of that. And right. now there's hundreds of domains and access points to that one website. And so ultimately, the, yeah, the, the goal would be um, it's not shirking away the idea of violence because it doesn't make sense. At times, you're going to need to defend either yourself or I would feel obligated, I don't expect anyone else to, to defend the system that I'm taking part in because I have to be the immune system for it in the material world. Because it otherwise exists in the virtual world. And it, like you said, it's basically untouchable if it's in the virtual world. And so it's, it's largely you wouldn't even have to do this. And very quickly, any entity that would want to um, usurp that system physically here, materially here, I don't know how it would get the resources to do something like that or motivate... Uh, people to do something like that on what scale because the larger I mean Bitcoin is funny it works physically in the same way that it works uh, virtually in that as the blockchain unravels it gets harder and harder and harder to ravel it back up and as it unravels in the form of Bitcoin in the real world it gets harder and harder to mop it up or try to centralize it right. and so going back to acceleration that is probably the key to ensuring that nobody can get in ahead is Think about every person who adopts Bitcoin in the real world being like a, a, a real node or a real GPU cranking out security for that system mm -hmm. uh, in the physical space. And so that ultimately would be the goal of, and, and Bitcoin is just a really easy example of the cybernetic system that helps to maintain markets. But you could use basically any decentralized system to, as an example of this that you would be needing to... Um, participate in primarily and then be willing to physically defend uh, the access points too when necessary. Well, Carr, this is kind of your area of expertise, so I'd like to get your input. No, I think that uh, Bird, uh, I, I actually, I don't know if I could have put it any better. Um, <laughs> I think that's a, uh, nailed it. you know, I, I think, am, I am I, the most I, bullish member of Timeliner. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, to, 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 uh, kind of step back for a second. I think that um, the the general gist of this is kind of um, stake your claim and defend it, and and that can be on the virtual world, and and it also is must be in the physical world. So you know, I have uh, a Bitcoin. You know, I have two Bitcoin nodes, and it they happen to be on my property, and uh, so I will uh, by virtue of the fact that I'm going to defend my property, I'm also defending them. Uh, it, it, you know, now in the grand scheme of things, if my nodes go down, it doesn't matter one bit to the network. And that's great because it, it's, you know, that's what makes the network so resilient and robust. Um, but yeah, I mean, to Bird's point, it's like I almost feel a duty um, to do my part to ensure um, or to help ensure the the uh, continued resilience of that network. Um and then I also will defend my property, and that's you know why libertarians love guns. You know, <laughs> do you have any yeah. do you have any uh, input as to why the crypto space has been so 
hammered as of late? I know it's there's a natural um, flow, but I, I'm just curious if you have. Yeah, it's I I I don't. It's just this is just the way that it's always been, and every and everybody looks for reasons up or down, and I don't know. I, I it, you just kind of stop trying. There's you know <laughs> at, at, at some point now now there's a there's you know at this point in not unlike you know back in 2016 2017 there's some really really big players in at this point, um, you know nation states probably. Uh, in some capacity, and I, yeah, you, know, I mean, I'm sure that there is price manipulation to try to get in lower and shake out retail. Right. Um, so you know they'll magnify any news that they possibly can uh, to scare you. I, I, I think. Um, but I, that being said, at this point, I just, I, I don't, I don't even, I almost don't even really pay attention. I don't even know what the price of Bitcoin is right now. I have no idea. I mean, it's I, I assume it's in the thirties, but we're back over okay. thirty. Yeah. It, oh yeah. It, it, oh, did under- we dip below? Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah that's oh, that's cool. why. Yeah, that's why. I then then it was a buying season. Even I was, I got a little in there. I'm back in. <laughs> Hell yeah, love it. Um, so Vin Armani has popularized this term, the the dim age, and I actually think that there's an interesting dichotomy where we have both a new dark age and an and an enlightenment that's occurring simultaneously. Um, and I don't think people talk about that enough. And I'm curious, Aaron, what you think about this because it it seems. It seems to me that we are having obviously a dark age where totalitarianism is creeping back in and and you have obviously governors that are acting like dictators. You have the federal level, you have the president labeling political dissidents as terrorists, even though they were largely peaceful protesters. Um, but then simultaneously, you have this incredible awakening globally about de- the power of decentralization and, and an affinity towards it, which I did not expect. And I think that it's it's so cool because you have people that are understanding the value of decentralization without many of them without even understanding why they value it. Um, you know, most of the pe- participants in Bitcoin, for instance, I don't believe that they understand really deeply why this is so special. Um, so, do you think that the Enlightenment wins out, or do we enter a new Dark Ages, or is there a polarity? where you have both simultaneously, as you've kind of talked about before. Well, I think this is uh, one of the blind spots of agorism is that in order for agorism to succeed, whether it's cryptocurrency, 3D printing firearms or anything of that sort, you have to have a culture that has the potential to embrace that, to look at those tools as not the devil. Um, because if you know, if, if we keep going the way we're at, we're going to be in the pod eating bugs and you're not going to own anything and you'll love it. Um, <laughs> um, so like when, when people criticize like the culture war, uh, know that from a libertarian, from the libertarian perspective, we're, we're, we're going to have our kids be a- amicable to all of those tools that you're giving us that agorism has, has bestowed upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's where this whole dim age thing comes in, in, in my opinion, is that we need to foster a culture of dissent, of rebellion, of revolution, of liberation, autonomy. Um, because if we don't, and we just send our kids to public school, they're going to come out of that not amicable to those tools at all. We're, we're going to look like Hitler. Yeah, and no, that's, um, yeah, that or, that would be the only weakness. That would be the only way that that, that that would be the only path to our demise. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point. And you know, 
obviously I don't think any of us intend to send our kids to public schools. So I think we're all safe, but the, uh, the general population particularly the right wing still hasn't woken up to this. Like, I think they, they are starting to thank God, some of them, but it's incredible to me that in mass, you haven't had conservatives completely pull their children from public schools already. I mean, they are, they are being taught the antithesis to their belief system from their, from, you know, their upbringing. And yet they still go like, well, yeah, you know, little Billy went to public school and then we sent him to Harvard and he dyed his hair purple. And now he calls me a fucking cuck all the time. I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really, it's really strange. Uh, base. They, yeah, base. <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah, it's really fucking base. If you want a real white pill about um, the, the fight against public schooling, go on uh, Corey DeAngelis' feed. Right. I mean, it's just, it's just W after W, especially since the lockdowns. Uh, charter schools, homeschooling has just r- stacked up wins. No, well, I no. think I think I think I saw a stat that like it did, isn't there like over a million students that left public schooling uh, in the I last in Massachusetts? Year? Yeah, it was like an eleven percent increase in homeschooling, which for Massachusetts yeah, I mean, being like I, the yeah. epicenter of public education, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Clint, to your, to your point, I mean, you're right. They nowhere near the mass exodus that we would like for sure. But I think that, that there, there has been quite a bit of a drift away. I, you know, oh, sure. that, that no, should, it's a very should positive be trend. I just, I just wish yeah. it was like unanimity for sure. You know, where they're just like, yeah. yeah, we're not going to continue to send our kids to be raised by our enemies. Like listen be to nice Malcolm X. It was like organic and didn't take a, a fucking lockdown and mask mandates. To, right. To, Exactly. And, I mean, it couldn't have been any more extreme circumstances, basically, to push these conservative people to fucking finally do the right thing. But at least some of them are. It's just it's just amazing the the extent to which people will continue to allow their children to be indoctrinated by their en- enemies. It, it's it's really mind blowing to me that it's not like, OK, if you are like if I was if I was in the conservative space, I would be fucking just demolishing my my children's uh friends parents if they were still sending them to public school because i like i would just basically make it uh uh like a social ostracization of anybody that was still doing that because it's you're so clearly adding to the problem here because you're creating the next generation of these fucking lemmings that will uh continue to rule over us so i don't know anyways uh bird what do you think about the the uh simultaneous enlightenment versus the dark ages that are occurring simultaneously. And do you have any opinion as to which one out? Um, I guess I'd have to know more about the context of the light and the dark parts of it, but, um, well, just the decentralized it, versus those that are like the neoliberal establishment. Oh, that oh are yeah. All the, woke the, and all this decentralized. The, the, okay. So it's two things. Um, I, I don't think there's a win. I don't think there's an end of history. I don't think there's a, an end point to, um, uh, how this thing goes. Um, I think capital is always going to be the subject of capture by the state. And I think the state is always going to exist because there's always in someone's mind a desire to try and capture something. And I just think that if capital is the subject of I don't know the the, the always never ending war for history then i think markets on the other side of that uh are what will have to be competing against the state in order to take hold of capital 
the decentralization of capital. And, and so I don't know if we're in a dim age or if, if the whole, uh, if eternity is just dim, um, and then it gets brighter and darker and God damn, that was, but I did definitely, <laughs> don't, I definitely don't, I got the knife to my wrist right now. <laughs> I definitely don't think that, uh, Markets will win all a hundred percent forever, always, and never sure. dip ever under that. So, as I again, I'm not a hundred percent sure the full context of it, but I think decentralization functionally wins. But I think there's always going to be a battle forever to maintain the hold of markets over capital as opposed to the state over capital. Yeah, well, and I think that the, the cool thing about the decentralized uh, models is that they just win out based off of the product or the, you know, yes. the efficacy. The That's utility. how they work. Yeah. Like the, yep. they, they are, they are kicking the shit out of the state just simply because they're so far superior. Um, mm -hmm. But to Aaron's point, you know, if you have a cultural aversion to it, or if you can indoctrinate these fucking idiots into thinking that, you know, you need to raid people's houses that have 3d printers and stuff like that, you end up in a, a simultaneous, totalitarian system with the tools of un unimaginable freedom existing simultaneously in the same space. I just think mm -hmm. that is a, that is something that I think, you know, people always say like, nothing's new. It's always uh, a repeat of history. I think this is new. I, I don't think that you've ever had these, these two, I mean, not even close to these tools no. to exist while while under a potentially totalitarian regime that's a that's mm -hmm. a remarkable period to exist in what do you think about that aaron i agree um and i i also agree with what bird said it's it's the once you start getting into marxism you you become the anarchist to post-anarchist pipeline and um i i agree the state will most likely always exist in one form or another and our, our lot in life as right anarchists is to keep the fight going and to keep innovating and keep subverting and, um, you know, keep accelerating. Carr, do you think that um, we're, that we're going to supplant the Federal Reserve and central banking system via these tools? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to be clear, I think that those things were going away anyway. Now, the question is, will they, would they be reborn but by something of, with, of a different name that did functionally did the same thing, you know, can, can I interject or, and just ask you why you think that they were going away anyways? Cause given the, the power dynamics and the, the immense power that that allows them to wield, it seems as if uh -huh. they would hold on to it, you know, against every possible, uh, comer. So why, why, do well, you, why did you see it going away no matter what? Sure. I mean, just, just like any, um, I guess financial, you know, centralized financial institution. They just, they just, the greed gets the best of them, and that they just okay. devalue their product. I so mean, basically, that, you, know, you saw so, a competitor coming, no matter what. Yeah, sure. I mean, and that competitor could be the 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 People's Bank of China, you know, or or something else. But yeah, I mean, they're they're going to fail, um, as as everyone has failed before. Um, the question is, do we have something to that we can um, swap out uh, in favor of markets? Uh, as it's failing. And I think the answer looks like maybe yes. Um, mm -hmm. I certainly believe so. But yeah, no, I, I mean, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I think these systems will serve to push 
you know, to accelerate its failure to some degree, but it was always destined to fail. Well, yeah. Would no, it be I... would, would it be replaced? Yes, if not for hopefully these new things. Well, exactly. That that's the difference this time is that we actually have the tools now to replace it with something that we would find appealing, as opposed to mm-hmm. a top down uh, kleptocracy, yes. which is what we've existed mm-hmm. in for eons. And people people make this mistake, and I made this point on Tim Pool, is that you know they think even the libertarians. They think that history began in 1913 with the central bank. Like this is yeah, this yeah. is a tale as old as time. Like as, as soon as you as had old as time. As soon as you had units of monetary exchange, you had people trying to con, you know control the the power levers to uh, mm-hmm. to basically force out their competition or to prevent competition. And and the in my opinion, the Federal Reserve was just the best at it ever. Um, do you think I'm overstating the their role in the degradation of both our economy and our culture? Because I, I think that like if there was one thing that I had to point to, it's not, I mean, it it all stems from central banking, in my view. Is there is that an overstatement? Is there anything else that you would add to it? What do you think, Bird? No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a lot, uh, at, at least a majority, vast majority of it stems from central banking yeah which is why i think the fight to decentralize that is so important but i think a lot of fights are 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 equally important but yeah i think it all stems from central banking what about you aaron is there is there anything that you would consider uh public enemy number one above that no it's central banking okay (laughs) i mean all all roads lead to the federal reserve um you know, it's it's an argument that I've kind of come around to recently, but um, yeah, you you control the money, you control the culture. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, g- going back to the old days of Hoppe, you know, your high time preference versus low time preference culture, uh, central banking, all it ever does is encourage a high time preference culture, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. from there you get what we have today. Yeah, well, I think the the only other area of um confusion for me is how how is it that we have become so china modeled like do you guys have any theories as to how is is it is the conservative theories uh conspiracy theories about how they've they've intentionally implanted themselves into our collegiate system or our universities and they are (laughs) indoctrinating our kids intentionally to make them psychotic marxists or is this is this a natural ebb and flow to society where you just have, uh, you know, an affinity towards free markets and capitalism, and then you have the um, disparate impact of economic gain that creates people that are are dissidents to the existing system, and then they feel like, okay, I need to bring this down at all costs, and then they just study Marxism, and that's where they end up is that's their new solution. Do you guys have any theories on this as to how we are so far down the the Chinese path? Because I mean, even in terms of uh, the security state. I mean, we are we are modeling them in in ways that I I can't even believe. And then you also have the lockdowns, which we modeled out, off of them as well. Are we in cahoots with them? I don't know. I'm I'm I have I have a lot of questions here. Uh, Carl, you have any theories? Yeah, I think that they're way more embedded in our in our government than anybody cares to uh, really come to terms with. Um, <clears throat> I I think that probably most of the time that conservatives are kind of swinging at leaves uh, or tilting at windmills when they're talking about it, uh, they're not really getting to the root of it. Uh, but the you know that's the, the conservative the, way. 
They, ne- they right. never get to exactly. the root of anything. No. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that they're very far more embedded. And, and in fact, you know, I, I think if you, you know, the, enter- the theory that I've entertained, and it's not like I came up with it, uh, but uh, I, I really do entertain the fact that the, that COVID uh, certainly was an attack by China. I mean, and and uh, a lot of the lockdowns and things like that uh, were, were Chinese influenced uh, heavily. Uh, they wanted us to lock down. Um, I, and, and yeah, so I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that, that you're, that, that we're understating or you're understating Chinese influence. Um, and I, and I certainly think that you would have to be very, very foolish to not believe that they are just shipping all kinds of compromising agents into United States power structures at all times. Oh yeah. That, and, and vice versa. I mean, there, there have been American spies for sure been caught up in China. Oh, as yeah. Well. I mean, it's a great game. Yeah, it's an antagonistic relationship. But I, I always mm-hmm. wonder how antagonistic it is, you know, because you you have, mm-hmm. I think Biden is is owned personally by them. Um, yeah. Bird, Bird, you seem to to be nodding your head when I was I was referencing the potential for it to be more of an organic shift in the power structure. What do you think? Um. Yeah, I think it's uh I don't want to, I can't articulate it purely as time preference because I just don't know enough about it. But I think it is, um, we've got a lot of um, easy access points to dopamine. Um, and that's, it's as practically as simple as that for me is that we are largely distracted and uh, we're largely uh, given a lot of illusions to play around with. Um, and that's why, usually, why collapses happen because everybody realizes everything snaps around the same time. Um, but yeah, I think we're a society with a lot of illusions and that's as far as the analysis for me of it goes, um, because I, I, to put the fine point on it, I believe that the shift towards uh, a collapse towards market power uh, out of the hands of centralized power is inevitable at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not it will shift back in the far future, I, I don't know. I just know that we're at the point where it's collapsing one way into the other. And um, so what? no matter how people are behaving, they're going to be snapped out of it. But uh, yeah, I think the thing that's preventing going even faster uh, towards that is that not that many people have snapped out of it. And there's lots of new ways to innovate people not being snapped out of it. I think... Um, largely the economics that the state utilizes are just at this point mind control because uh, fiat is not real and so it's it's all just numbers and those numbers translate to moods and and doesn't go much farther than that mm-hmm. uh, so yeah I think that's and that is potentially why the culture war is so important because it's a means by which to snap people out of it and get them in um, but yeah Aaron I mean I'm 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 the TLE's foremost pro-China member, so. <laughs> well, then please um, make, make the make the pro case. <laughs> true. I think uh, I think we have a natural tendency to look at China and make comparisons to what's going on right now, and I think that's about half right. Okay. Uh, China is a lot different. They're able to do a lot more because they have a monoculture. The Han Chinese are the dominant culture, by by far, and when. When anything arises to threaten that monoculture, they just, you know, do what they need to do. Um, allegedly. <laughs> so I think when when our when our power structure in America sees the tools that the Chinese 
uh, Communist Party uses, such as social credit systems, surveillance, they're only looking at the effectiveness of those tools. They're not look. I don't think they're looking to model us after China. I think they're taking in what's useful and discarding what's useless. Hmm. Um, well, the, the, now, the question does that make is, it any better? The question is useful in, in, to to whose yeah. benefit, and and it's not well. Our that that goes to the second part of this. Our our elites ends are a lot different than China's elites ends. Hmm. Um, this goes back to time preference. China, the Chinese people are a very low time preference culture. They'll work 12 hour days with no break. They have hundred year plans for God's sakes. Yeah, no shit. Like they, they have uh, like, they, they have no concept of in- individuality. There is only what am I doing for the people? Right. Um, I think that's you know, an interesting, better or worse. it's an interesting question is like, I, I think it, it really tests both of our models. And, and I mm-hmm. granted like America is not at all what we wish it were. However, if you, we, we clearly are a much more individualistic society than they are. And the question is, it's, this is basically back to the cold war debate of like who wins out. Cause if you have communists that are willing to sacrifice their people to make you know, XYZ progress versus this individualistic society that's unwilling. Um, but then we can also galvanize voluntarily to do really immense and amazing things at times. Uh, which of these models wins out? And I still I, call me, you know, uh, a dreamer, <laughs> but I still, I still believe that individualism will, will, win out against um collectivism in the long oh. term you're bleeding heart you're a bleeding heart i am do you yeah, disagree that's cute heart. clint <laughs> yeah do, do you guys do you guys disagree i don't though? think the party would like to hear that clint <laughs> <laughs> well i wouldn't i wouldn't write it down at my work i would i would immediately put it in the shredder if i was <laughs> right right and and you just keep it that way all right <laughs> Well, I, no, I mean, I'm on your side, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be on in the, talking about the whole poll scenario, okay. right? I'm on yeah. your side. Yeah, I do. I do believe it wins out. Aaron, Carr? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron. yeah, of course. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> so the hesitation was because Carr just agreed and Aaron yep. d- didn't agree. Can't but do he didn't it. I'm sorry. Say I just, I can't. I understand. Well, can't cross that party, Rubicon and yeah, agree with Carr. As a, as a party <laughs> insider, I understand why you have to keep that position. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it just boils down to like, under what environment do people produce better? And I think that we have already yeah. proven this yeah. out. We like, this is the reason, I mean, despite that we also won it militarily. And I think that was completely unnecessary. Um, I think we would have won out regardless had we not decided to, you know, get involved in World War II and things like that. Um, but now, now we are on the trajectory of being much more like the enemies we once fought than we are the the country that we once fought for. Uh, so I think that's going to be an interesting, you know, thing to see how it plays out this go around because we are no longer the individualistic society that can out innovate anybody. And and will we see someone else? I, I think that what makes me hopeful. Um, I'm not so optimistic about El Salvador, but I am very uh, optimistic. And Carr actually made this point on one of your episodes about this trend of having countries that are now competing for freedom-oriented people to come to their 
their place and to create. Um, Car, is that is that as as optimistic as you get in looking at things like that? Well, I think it's pretty pretty darn optimistic uh, to to look at and say nation states are now uh, are you know if you had said that a few years ago that would have sounded insane to say that that nation states are are passing legislation to literally compete for brains and capital of market oriented uh, uh, folks and networks. Um, that's that's wild. Uh, are they going to try to use it for nefarious ends? Yeah, perhaps. I, I mean, you know, who, like they're, they're, they are states at the end of the day, but they are underdog states. They're they're downtrodden states. They're states that have um, at least on the world stage are more akin to you and me um, when related to their other nation state brothers and sisters, uh, you know, and our fight against our own nation state. Um, that was a little bit clumsily worded, but I think you, you know what I mean. Uh that that they would that they probably feel that they want some retribution and so we can ride that wave that's fine i'll you know and this go, this plays a little bit into what aaron you know says or or you know kind of leads to a lot is that we should you know tools may be made available to us and use them you know if somebody bunts pick up the ball and throw it to first that that sort of thing you know i don't support the nation state of el salvador i don't support their existence but they exist. There they are. Do I? I mean, would I rather them? Would I rather them start uh, accepting Bitcoin or not? You know. So the, it, it's kind of that. But I, 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 I really, uh, I really don't think I could understate my optimism, um, or overstate my optimism. Which one's the right way? But I, I, whichever one pisses Aaron off is the one that I believe in. <laughs> well, I think I think that that's what what makes me optimistic is that you know this this trend, if it does not get destroyed by the power structures that exist currently could be unbelievably hopeful. I mean, if you have countries that are racing each other to the bottom, but no longer towards totalitarianism, but towards, you know, yeah. anarchotopia, like, wow, yeah. that, that is fucking mm -hmm. super optimistic. But then it, then it relies on people like us to be willing to uproot our lives and go and actually pay off that gamble because that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. El Salvador is gambling that enough Bitcoiners that have enough uh, resources will pick up their lives, move there, and then go create uh, an economy and a system yeah. that uplifts their people. If you don't do that and you just become a tax haven, that's, that, that's not going to benefit the people. And eventually they will, they will fall away from it. And, I, and the reason I bring this up is because Puerto Rico had these unbelievable tax plans that were basically you got away with a 4% federal tax rate if you were an American expat that went there. I mean, not an expat since it was still kind of a, you know, subsidiary of, of the United States, but, um, but the economy never really got picked up because people weren't going there and creating enough businesses. And had they, had they actually uplifted the economy, I think that, that the people there wouldn't now be clamoring to become the 51st state of, of the United States. And if, if that happens, that tax treatment will go away. So it's like, there is actually a race that's occurring. When, when you see one of these, these opportunities, one of these nations or one of these little territories like Puerto Rico offer this, it's not enough to just go there and benefit yourself. You actually have to go there and benefit the people that exist there. And I think that's a, a really interesting um, turn of events I didn't expect because now it looks as if Puerto Rico is going to become a 51st state. That tax treatment goes away. All of those billionaires are immediately going to flee to somewhere else. And there's, you know, the, the game keeps going on. Um, anyways, car, car uh, needle Aaron. So I'll let him hop in. Well, yeah, yeah. Can I, can I uh, oh, just yeah, make one? 
Uh, so I would say that it's a little bit different in the in than the Puerto Rico situation. I think that you that that when you say that their their bet is that people will uproot the uproot their lives and come to El Salvador, that that is part of the bet, no doubt. But they do have a hedge, and that hedge is that they're just going to adopt their own citizens into Bitcoin. And sure. they're saying, well, th- as this network grows, that's going to create just the mere holding of capital in bitcoin here in el salvador is going to greatly enrich us and through that that creates that creates uh uh, the ability for uh production so i I think that ideally i mean if you talk to the el salvadorian president and you said uh you know would you rather do you want 80 percent of bitcoiners to move here he would say absolutely but i think he understands the secondary point here which is just attracting the capital may may be well and good enough. It's certainly better than we got right now because we're on the United States dollar and this thing's on on, on a one way uh, you know uh, uh, track to nowhere. Right. So so there is a little bit of a backup here, uh, a backstop, and then in so doing, you have a a truly. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like that difference in models between helping um, a market form and then a charity, right? A charity at some point or. Uh, does or can cripple local economies because they get so used to a, a certain handout or something like that. This is much a more organic way of bringing capital in and creating uh, the self-sustaining aspect of, 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 of an economy of, of production uh, rather than, than the hand-fisted way that the United States government did it uh, towards Puerto Rico. Yeah, well, that, that, that's certainly true. Um, I mean, this that only works if number, number go up technology persists. Yes. I mean, because if that's if, their bet. If the people transition bet. into Bitcoin and then it just it stays where it's at or it drops a little bit, you know, you'll you'll have people that will not have a wealth transfer from say the right. United States to El Salvador to help those people to then create businesses. Correct. And, and let me let me also say I'm not shitting on the people that moved to Puerto Rico and didn't create businesses. The problem with Puerto Rico is that it's a bureaucratic fucking nightmare. The reason that their economy yes. is shit is because it's a bureaucratic nightmare. And and all of the people that moved there for the tax haven got there and they're like, oh, this is still a terrible place to start a business, even if I don't pay income tax. So they didn't do it. Um, so you, uh, I mm-hmm. think that the, the lesson there is that you need both. You need, you need some place that both adopts Bitcoin, adopts whatever cryptocurrency, and also decreases the regulatory state and allows people to actually produce and uplift the people in the organic capitalist fashion that we would envision. So I'm hopeful, um, but it's going to take it's going to take a, a real risk-taking nation to do all of the above to actually become like what I would like to see is like a Hong Kong of, of Latin America, you know, like that would oh, be yeah. astonishing. That'd if be you just uh, mm-hmm. all out of the jungle in Bolivia or something, there's this like uh, all these skyscrapers and shit and you just have this amazing eco- economic burgeoning um, that no one expects. But I think, I think there's an opportunity there because as all of these other governments that are, are, suffering and drowning under the weight of their own debt you're going to have opportunities to create shit like that so i really hope so absolutely um with uh, the I, I just wanted to bring up one last note about um blackrock uh, i know everyone's been hammering blackrock i don't know what the fuck their pr agents are doing that they allowed themselves to be the boogeyman for the uh this real this version of the real estate bubble uh aaron do you have any theories as to to why a, a singular company is actually being dragged in this fashion because to me it's a much grander problem than a single company that's buying up one or two percent of the real estate market yeah um i i don't know if it's just our um you know our echo chamber but i went on linkedin 
and looked at BlackRock's posts and there's like nothing. Hmm. Like there's no there's no anger, there's no like the comments are like, "Wow, you guys are really innovative." Um <laughs> I don't know if that's just a LinkedIn thing, but um it's no, it's no one surprising puts anything that, controversial on LinkedIn. <laughs> no, not at all. And I thought for sure there'd be at least something. That's part of but, the design. Um, yeah. But um yeah, I mean, I I don't know how you fight that. I I you know you know, we're, we're again, this is all leading towards us living in pods, eating bugs and owning nothing and liking it. Uh, they're directly financed by the Federal Reserve. They're the first pe- one of the first groups of people to get quantitative easing off fresh off the printing press. Um, when you when you Google Cantillon effect, the BlackRock's name comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, and I mean, to, it's, to do it in a place like Texas, uh, you know, I don't think Texas is at the stage of, you know, uh, I don't think Texas has a critical mass of people that are hostile enough to that sort of maneuvering yet, which, yeah. you know, goes back to acceleration. The way to prevent brazen acts like this of, of market manipulation is to have a populace that won't stand it. Yeah. Well, I think the problem is, is that you're going to have people that that view BlackRock as your classic greedy capitalist enterprise as opposed to mm-hmm. what it is which is a greedy cronyist enterprise or perhaps even an arm of the state i mean if you yeah if but it, functionally is there a difference between one who thinks they're corporatist and one who thinks they're capitalist oh there is in that in that they they do not identify the real problem the real problem is not is not like say i were to reach out to you guys and say <laughs> hey send me you know your life savings I'm going to go out and buy up a tranche of houses. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a totally reasonable market behavior. If I see an opportunity and I want to, you know, collectivize our, our money, our resources and go out and buy a dozen rental properties, there's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't break the market because I'm seeing, I'm seeing a, an opportunity for appreciation because there's a shortage of supply or shortage of inventory. However, if I'm getting free fucking money, from the Federal Reserve, and then I'm going out and buying houses above market price and pushing out all of the mom and pops from being able to get their first foot on the, the rung of the ladder for economic uh, security, then yeah, there's a huge problem. But people, don't, people are incapable of identifying the difference there. And I think that that's a, a massive problem because uh, you'll, you'll then have people that are witnessing the problems of government interference in the economy, demanding that the government interfere in the economy. That's, they're, that's what they're going to do. That's what they always do. They're going to come in and they're going to say, well, we need to collectivize. We need to have nationalized real estate because we can't have these companies like BlackRock buying up all the housing. So I don't want that. I don't want them to fucking do that. So uh, what do you think about that, Bird? Yeah, I think BlackRock is doing what you just said, but in a, in a different way, because that's ultimately what the point is. It's centralizing it. I don't really. Um, I think uh, that's true, too. Yeah. Capitalism is always one of those words we've agreed on the podcast to when any one of us says it, we simply accept the usage of it because we all know ultimately we mean the same thing. Um, And I think it's important instead of calling it capitalism, thinking about a war for capital, um, which is why I like markets. It's probably the only useful use of the word markets other than to actually talk about what they look like. Oh, I like markets because you can't have, you know, a state. And the market, the state occupies capital or the market occupies capital. It's one way or another. 
Um, that's, that's an important but distinction. Just to, I'd like to, I need, I feel like I need to make that distinction because ultimately we are talking about the same thing. And I think, um, furthermore, I don't know whether or not BlackRock capturing all of the territories is different from the state capturing all the territories in a functional sense. No, yeah, it's a distinction um, you without call a difference. Them cron yeah, cronyist, right? So ultimately it's bad, bad too. That one's bad. The other one's bad. So yeah, I would just say very bad. And um, <laughs> if I knew anything about real estate, I would tr I'd tell you a way that I think we could fix it. But all I know is very bad. Well, very no, bad. I, I, you guys already know the way to fix it, whether or not you know anything about real estate. It's the Federal Reserve. I mean, if you don't have a Fed window that allows these big boys to come in and get money at almost nothing, they can't do this. This behavior stops instantly. Funny money. Yeah, it very is. funny money. It is, but th this is what I'm, I'm trying to redirect people's ire towards the actual problem. Like, is BlackRock a bad actor? Sure, but they're actually behaving in a rational way. If I had access to free money and I could go out mm -hmm. and buy hard assets as I see inflation coming down the pipe, I right. would be a fool not to do it. And any other big hedge fund that's out there would be a fool not to do the exact same thing. But this, this trend, this, this moral hazard that we now exist in, exists exclusively because of the Federal Reserve. It, without it, you could not have this happening. So anyways, Carr, any final notes on that topic? No, I, I mean, 100% agree. I won't belabor it. It's, it's yeah, it, it, that just is what it is. It, 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 like we said earlier, all roads lead back to the Fed. Well, let's let's get out of here on something funny. Who's the best in bed? I don't know if any of us have been in bed. <laughs> That's right. You mean when we sleep have to sleep together because we only yeah, have one we... mattress? What are you yeah, talking yeah. about? <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, guys... yeah, get, get some blue chew in me. <laughs> I, I, I was gonna say Aaron is remarkably straight in bed. He sits up very exactly, so he's comfortable. Yep. Uh, Car likes to extend his like legs. Something. And I think sometimes, Carl, you extend your legs into my zone, and I don't like mm. that. Um, <laughs> I love, yeah, I love and I know I have a, in a completely... tendency to kick and punch when I sleep, Car. So I apologize night for that. Tires. But it's like an yeah, I get a lot tires. of those. Yeah, I got a lot of those. <laughs> so yeah, I think um, probably Aaron's the best. Did, did meeting each other in person for the first time make you guys like each other less or more? I still haven't met them in person, and uh, I'm mm -hmm. fine with that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we just leave Aaron out of this. <laughs> yeah, I think we had a wonder. I think Carr. I think we had a wonderful bonding experience. Uh, oh, yeah. I think uh, I think we had did a podcast together, and it was excellent. And I'm and I'm glad Aaron wasn't there because he would have not anchored the vibe. He would have not <laughs> right. been anchoring the vibe. Uh, he Aaron is very much like a wave. He's the, really the opposite of the anchor of a vibe. He's going to try and take. The vibe in his direction. If you're going to call like him that. a wave, I'm going to call him a tsunami. He he comes in and he uproots yeah. everything around him. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, we don't stand for that. I, I crush Filipinos. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm a tsunami. <laughs> and yeah. the Thais and wow. the Japanese. Basically, anyone in Asia yeah. is in danger if Aaron's around. And <laughs> um, uh, Aaron, you uh, are you getting married? You said you just bought a house. You're trying to turn your Ugh. your girl into uh, eventually. Irish baby that's factory? that's probably coming down the pipeline. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to get away with going too much longer without putting a ring on it. Um, well, yeah. Congrats in advance. Uh, I hope that well, thank you. 
that you uh, you name your <coughs> Irish army Clint Clint one two through twenty. <laughs> uh, that'd be amazing. And and Bird and Carr, are you guys going to make it official? And who's going to put a ring on it over here? Thinking about that, right? The tax benefits probably wouldn't be bad. We adopt a couple of kids, right? Do you get tax Health benefits plan. as a gay couple? You probably do, huh? Oh, absolutely. That would be discriminatory, though, right? So, yeah, probably. Awesome. I would hope so. Well, yeah, we'll go tie that, that knot. The and child actually, tax credit is insane right now. Finally, boom. an upside to all the dudes I've been blowing. This is tremendous news. Boom. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> get it done. Let's get it done. Well, if you guys uh, enjoyed this show, uh, you won't enjoy theirs because they do not talk this seriously. And I'm sorry that I, I dragged this no. out of you guys for 90 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really wanted to have a, a more serious conversation with you guys because I, I love your banter. I love your back and forth, but I knew that you would have a ton of input in these these areas, and I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. Please subscribe to Timeline Earth Podcast. Is there anything else you guys would like to tell the people? I'll be at Porkfest uh, 23rd through the 26th. Hit me up. We have a uh, Porkfest homies DM room. Uh, just DM me. I'll get you in there. Nice. Bird, anything? Uh, car's got to do the keep two hands on the wheel. I'll squaw. <laughs> okay, car. You guys right. want to keep two hands handles? on the wheel? <laughs> nah. No, no, no. Nah. Squaw, squaw. <laughs> okay. Go fuck yourself. Man, what a blast that was. I love those guys. Make sure you subscribe to Timeline Earth. Speaking of subscriptions, boy, are we killing it. I really appreciate the support that I'm getting from you guys. I am now up to 250 reviews on iTunes. Like 99 plus percent of them are five stars. We got four new write-ups for five-star reviews that I want to give a shout-out and read them out because that's how this show grows, is by you guys supporting me. I support you, vice versa. We love each other. It's a beautiful thing. We got Chuyito79 says, added to my podcast shuffle. Heard about this show when uh, he was on Macroaggressions with Charlie Robinson. Great show, by the way. Uh, he says, I'm subbed and loving the pot. Well, thank you, Chuyito. I appreciate it. And then we got Gary Meoff says, real deal. Clint is the real deal. For those looking for an entertaining look into politics, economics, news, who's who of the liberty world through the lens of an intelligent, funny, and successful commentator, you found it. The only thing Clint has ever been wrong about is the coming deflation. It won't happen. So ignore that part. Well, you might be right, Gary. And in some ways, I hope you are. But uh, in some ways, I hope you're wrong because a deflationary collapse prior to a hyperinflationary blowout would be the greatest opportunity of our lifetime. So time will tell, but uh, I'm open-minded. Then we got Beer Corvid says, Macroaggressions Convert. Caught your chat with Charlie and am just glad to have found another fearless voice out there. Upstate New Yorker in solidarity. Well, thank you, Mr. Corvid. Uh, I, that show with, uh, with Charlie has brought a, not, a lot of new listeners on, and I really appreciate it. His show's great, and I think we had a great conversation. So make sure you guys go check out that at uh, Macroaggressions Podcast. And then lastly, we got Nasty Mardo says, Great voice in a world full of crap. Clint Rocks. I first heard about him on POTP, and now his show is one of my top Liberty shows, along with POTP, GML, Tom Woods, Peddling Fiction, etc. His passion... Oh, Peddling Fiction, a sponsor of ours. Cool. Uh, his passion comes through in each uh, thought-provoking episode. It's great that there seem to be so many Liberty-minded folks around my age group. Gives me hope for the future. Keep up the great work. We need you out here. Hey, brother. I'm out here. We out here. I ain't going nowhere either. Uh, by the way, I do have a, a website set up. If you guys want all of the links to all of my merch and everything else, go to libertylockdownpodcast.com. Got some new killer designs from my boy Top Lobster. And uh, if you want to rock a shirt with my face on it in cartoon form, it is rad. I just got it in the mail. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Uh, tomorrow I have on King Red Pilled and the artist formerly known as Vin Armani. It is going to be a phenomenal episode. 
episode 100 coming in hot. Don't miss it. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppin' A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe